Hello and welcome to Practicing English. My name is Mike Bilber, and these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels, or IELTS from levels four to seven, or for those students who just want to improve their general English. For transcripts of these podcasts, please go to practicingenglish.com. This is a short story by H. G. Wells. It's called "The Man Who Could Work Miracles." It was first published in 1898, so the language of the original version is rather dated. Dated. That means it's a bit old-fashioned and perhaps language which is rarely used these days. I have made a few adaptations to the text, so that the language is current and up to date. So, if you learn some of the words and expressions I highlight in the transcript, they will be useful for your English studies. Even so, the level of the language here is B two and higher. I suppose C one as well. I'll try and explain some of the words and expressions as I read the story. As you listen, also note the intonation and the rhythm of the language as I read. The man who could work miracles. It is doubtful whether the gift was innate. For my own part, I think it came to him suddenly. Indeed, until he was thirty, he was a sceptic, and did not believe in miraculous powers. And here, since it is the most convenient place, I must mention that he was. A little man, and had eyes of a hot brown, very erect red hair, a moustache with ends that he twisted up, and freckles. His name was George McWhorter Fotheringay. Not the sort of name by any means to lead to any expectation of miracles. And he was clerk at a company called. Gomshots. He was greatly addicted to argument. It was while he was arguing the impossibility of miracles that he first demonstrated his extraordinary powers. This particular argument was being held in the bar of the Long Dragon Pub, and Toddy Beamish. Was playing the part of the opposition, by a monotonous but effective, so you say, 
that drove Mr. Fotheringay to the very limit of his patience. There were present, besides these two, a very dusty cyclist, the landlord, the landlord, that's the person who runs a pub, the landlord Cox, and Miss Maybridge, the perfectly respectful and rather portly barmaid, portly meaning rather fat, the rather portly barmaid of the dragon. Miss Maybridge was standing with her back to Mr. Fotheringay, washing glasses. The others were watching him, more or less amused by the present ineffectiveness of Fotheringay's arguing. Look here, Mr. Beamish, said Mr. Fotheringay. Let us clearly understand what a miracle is. It's something contrary to the course of nature, done by power of will. Something that couldn't happen without being specially willed. So this word to will means to try to make something happen by your powers of thought, to will something. So you say, said Mr. Beamish. For instance, said Mr. Fotheringay, here would be a miracle. That lamp, in the natural course of nature, couldn't burn like that upside down, could it, Beamish? You say it couldn't, said Beamish. And you, said Fotheringay, you don't mean to say, eh? No, said Beamish reluctantly, no, it couldn't. Very well, said Mr. Fotheringay. Then here comes someone, like me, and stands here and says to that lamp, as I might do, with all my will, turn upside down without breaking and go on burning and... Oh, my goodness. It was enough to make anyone say, oh, my goodness, the impossible... The incredible was visible to them all. The lamp hung inverted in the air, burning quietly with its flame pointing down. It was as solid, as indisputable as ever a lamp was. The common and ordinary lamp of the long dragon bar. Mr. Fotheringay stood with an extended forefinger, and the knitted brows, the knitted brows, that means with your forehead, you screw up your forehead when you are concentrating, when you're concentrating or when you're worried, you knit your brow. And the knitted brows of one anticipating a catastrophic smash. The cyclist, who was sitting next to the lamp, ducked, that is to put your head down, he ducked, and jumped across the bar. Everybody jumped, more or less. Miss Maybridge turned and screamed. <coughs> For nearly three seconds, the lamp remained still. A faint cry of mental distress came from Mr. Fotheringay. I can't keep it up, he said, any longer. He staggered back 
and the inverted lamp suddenly flared. That is, the flame went very bright. It flared, fell against the corner of the bar, bounced aside and smashed upon the floor and went out. It was lucky it had a metal container or the whole place would have been in a blaze. Mr. Cox was the first to speak and his abrupt remark was to the effect that Mr. Fotheringay was a fool. Fotheringay was not able to dispute this. He was astonished at the thing that had occurred. The subsequent conversation threw absolutely no light on the matter as Fotheringay was concerned. The general opinion not only followed Mr. Cox very closely, but very vehemently. Vehemently, meaning in an angry way. Everyone accused Fotheringay of a silly trick and that he was a foolish destroyer of comfort and security. His mind was in a whirl. That means he was very confused. His mind was in a whirl. He was himself inclined to agree with them, and he did not object to the proposal of his departure. He went home, flushed and heated, his coat collar crumpled, his eyes smarting, and his ears red. His eyes smarting, that means they sting. He watched each of the ten street lamps nervously as he passed it. It was only when he found himself alone in his little bedroom in Church Row that he was able to grapple seriously with his memories of the occurrence. To grapple with something is to really uh, think about something very hard. And he asked himself, What on earth happened? He had removed his coat and boots and was sitting on the bed with his hands in his pockets, repeating the text of his own defence for the seventeenth time. I didn't want that stupid lamp to turn upside down when it occurred to him that at the precise moment he had said the words, he had inadvertently, inadvertently means not intentionally, not on purpose. He had inadvertently willed the thing he said. He had not a particularly complex mind, or he might have been stuck for a time at what inadvertently willed actually meant. But as it was, a vague idea came to him, and from that he came to the test of experiment. He pointed resolutely to his candle and collected his thoughts, though he felt he did a foolish thing. Rise up, he said. But in a second that feeling vanished. The candle rose up, hung in the air one giddy moment, and as Mr. Fotheringay gasped, it fell with a smash on the table, leaving him in darkness, except for the glow of its wick. The wick is the part of the candle where the flame comes from, the piece of string. 
For a time, Mr. Fotheringay sat in the darkness, perfectly still. It did happen after all, he said, and how I'm to explain it, I don't know. He sighed heavily and began feeling in his pockets for a match. He couldn't find one, and he got up and groped about the table. To grope is when you feel for something in the dark. You don't know where something is to grope. I wish I had a match, he said. He resorted to his coat, and there was none there. And then it dawned upon him, it dawned upon him, the idea came to him, that miracles were possible even with matches. He extended a hand and scowled at it in the dark. Let there be a match in that hand, he said. He felt some light object fall across his palm and his fingers closed upon a match. After several failed attempts to light this, he discovered it was a safety match. So a safety match requires the box of matches to be able to light it. He threw it down and then it occurred to him that he might have willed it lit. He did and perceived it burning in the middle of his mat. He picked it up hastily, hastily meaning quickly, and it went out. His perception of possibilities enlarged and he felt for and replaced the candle in the candlestick. Here, you be lit, said Mr. Fotheringay, and immediately the candle was burning, and then looked up and met his own gaze in the mirror. By this help, he spoke to himself in silence for a time. How about miracles now? said Mr. Fotheringay at last, addressing his reflection. The following thoughts of Mr. Fotheringay were of a severe but confused description. So far he could see it was a case of pure willing with him. The nature of his experiences so far dissuaded him to carry out further experiments, at least until he had reconsidered them, but he lifted a sheet of paper and turned a glass of water pink and then green, and he created a snail, which he miraculously annihilated, to annihilate, to kill it, and got himself a miraculous new toothbrush. Somewhere in the small hours, the small hours means very early in the morning, like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. He had realised that his willpower must be of a particularly rare and powerful quality. The scare and perplexity of his first discovery was now qualified by pride in this evidence and by vague ideas of advantage. He's thinking how he could use these powers. He became aware that the church clock was striking one, and as it did not occur to him that his daily duties at Gomshots might be miraculously done away with, he continued to undress in order to get to bed 
without further delay. As he struggled to get his shirt over his head, he was struck with a brilliant idea. Let me be in bed, he said, and found himself so. Undressed, he stipulated, and finding the sheets cold, added hastily, and in my pyjamas, in nice soft woollen pyjamas. Ah! He said with immense enjoyment, and now let me be comfortably asleep. Tune in next Friday for episode two of H.G. Wells's. The man who could work miracles.